Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Here it is, Bleacher Blum's gates are open, stands are filling up, and they've been filling up pretty good. It's been an interesting week, a little bit of a layoff because of the, some of the time issues. It's really tough to go left coast, right coast, which is where I was with the Astros for the last uh, week or so. I'm so glad to be back in H-Town, although I do believe that we have done a very good job in bringing the weather with us because that entire road trip, I believe all three games in Cincinnati were delayed. The first game in New York was delayed, and uh, we flew in Sunday night. I waited for my bags, got my bags, and came home about 12.30 at night. Sleeping was great in my own bed. And then about 6 o'clock in the morning, dude, the most unbelievable uh, thunderstorm started to roll in. So I, I, I was awake from about 6 to 8, and... It was complete thunder and lightning going on outside. It was a laser show coming in through the windows. And it seems to be the cloud that's following the Astros around right now because that seven-game losing streak was on that last road trip. Guys are happy to be back in town. But some dude who is just living the dream is out on that West Coast. And it's my boy, David Tuttle. How are we doing, Tuttle? I'm doing great, man. We do have – come on. Like, don't don't sell our weather too hard. We ha- We have had June gloom the entire June here. Wake up in the morning. You know what? I've heard that. Has it been bad? Well, I mean, it's not thunderstorms uh, with lightning and laser show <laughs> at six in the morning, but it's just been unusual. I mentioned to you earlier off air, my kids are doing uh, like the junior guards program, and it sure makes it easier when the sun's out to crawl into the cold water. But uh, yeah, it's been like 60 and overcast till about 12 or one or two in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the Houstonians are laughing out loud at uh, my complaints about the weather, but uh, I mean, it's just been unusual. You lived out here for quite a long time. It's just been unusual. It's been great. I mean, we have great weather. We don't get a lot of rain. We don't get a lot of uh, storms or anything like that. So I, th- I think it's all good, but it, but it has been different. So maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's just across the country. Who knows? No, and that's one thing that a lot of people that don't live in California don't understand. Because even people, I think, in the Bay Area, they get uh, they get a lot of fog and they get a lot of uh, cooler weather up north. Whereas Southern California, and especially this winter, I know you guys got crushed by rain. We talked about that quite a bit. But we always had nicknames for, you know, April showers uh, happen. And then you get into May Gray. And then you get into June Gloom is what uh, Tuttle is talking about. And I played with the San Diego Padres for three years and it was pretty consistent with the may gray because even in uh may when we were playing with the san diego padres game time temperature would be about 68 by the time the game was over it was about 62 63 uh june it would get a little bit warmer but there would always be that early morning marine layer that would burn off but apparently you guys are stuck in that but uh yeah we definitely had nicknames for that and when you're spoiled like Californians are, and I once was, you do come up with nicknames because you're dreary and it's overcast. Oh my gosh, how am I going to deal with the marine layer? June gloom is set in. But uh, yeah, I, I, trust me, I'm not uh, I'm not feeling for you. Just don't take that the wrong way. Oh, I appreciate it. I just thought I'd talk about the weather since that's always the easiest thing to start with. But let's bring it back to that road trip. It's very interesting. The last few podcasts that we've been doing have been always about, you know, 
how horrible my Giants are and how uh, how solid the Astros are. And I still have to listen to all the Dodger fans out here kind of continue to rave about Cody Bellinger's year and how well they're doing. But, you know, I think the Astros were 35 and 18 and now they're 14 and 12 in their last 26 games, which to your point, I mean, you've had Correa out, Altuve out and uh, and obviously Springer out and you're going to get Springer and McHugh and a couple other guys back. So it'll be interesting to see, like you said, um, being back in Houston and kind of getting some of the guys back, how comfortable they'll be. I, I think it's funny because listening to my gambling uh, <laughs> intel and and stuff, the, uh, they typically talk about baseball as being the hardest game to bet on uh, for the bookmakers. I'm so sorry, I've been you know not for the uh, for the for the gambler because uh, with football it's so scrutinized and the spreads and everybody kind of knows and there's one game a week and. There's a lot of information, but with baseball, it's such a game of streaks, and you play 162 games, as you know. And I think that was—it's a really interesting. Anyway, it just made me think about how the Astros have been playing. I don't think anything has probably changed in that clubhouse in terms of what their expectations are. Um, you know, take it back, right? I mean, they still have aspirations for winning it all, and uh, but it's interesting to watch a team win. You know. 20 out of 22 and then go on a streak where they lose seven in a row granted the yankees are a good team but i don't think people would put the reds up against the astros in terms of uh talent and ability so it'd be i'd be curious to hear i'll, I'll bring it out of weather back into uh the june gloom that the astros have been going through what, what are your thoughts about that no, I'm glad you bring it up, and we'll get this Astro stuff out of the way early, which will make fans really happy because it has been one of the more interesting weeks, and I'd made a note to talk about this. A seven-game losing streak throughout the course of a season is is not all that much, especially for a team like the Astros who have already had two 10-game winning streaks, so you've got to take that into account. But it, by the time I get done with this, I'm going to ask you, Tuttle, about, you know, you you've watched enough baseball, obviously having played it, and watching it with a couple of championship teams with the San Francisco Giants up there, you're going to have these lulls throughout the season. But I want, to, I want you to be thinking about some of these teams who try, not try to replace superstars, but the depth of an organization. And does it eventually run out, so to speak? And I think they kind of got exposed over this week, last week because the guys that they do have, the organization is crazy deep. Uh, they have a ton of outfielders that are able to come up. We saw that with Miles Straw, Derek Fisher, Kyle Tucker's another guy that's down there doing a really good job. And uh, so they bring some of these guys up. The pitching, I think, is where they got a little more exposed because the bullpen, we don't, the Astros really don't have that bridge guy that is able to get to the back end of the bullpen or maybe create a little space in between the starter if he struggles and getting to that back end of the bullpen. That's what I mean by a bridge guy. Uh, Josh James has been pretty good, but he's kind of a roller coaster ride. But when he's on, he's on. They had to take another guy that was doing a good job in that bridge area and Fromber Valdez and put him in the rotation. So they started to get exposed a little bit in that sense. But I also feel as good and as deep as this organization was when they were putting guys in there, they're inserting uh, these guys and creating these lineups. Jake Marisnik is a guy who's a very good role player and defensive replacement, putting up great offensive numbers this year but he's starting to play 15, 16 games in a row. That allows a lot of time and exposure for teams to see where the guy's weakness is, how do they make adjustments on him. But then it also forces a guy like Jake Marizic to make some of those adjustments. Can he make some of those adjustments? And we saw him, he had a little bit of a lull. He made an adjustment, came back, a couple of bombs out there in uh, New York against the Yankees. So 
we started to see some of those good things. But early on, when these guys were replacing a Springer and Altuve and a Correa, they did. It wasn't one or two guys every night. It was a different guy every night, and I thought that's how they really succeeded because. They didn't need to score a lot of runs. They needed to score just enough, and they did. But they also scored them at, at optimal times because that pitching and that starting rotation was so good. But, Tuttle, what I'm asking you is how hard do you think it was for those guys to replace – I mean, Altuve is an MVP. Springer is a potential MVP. Correa is a potential MVP who probably won't be back until after the All-Star break with that broken rib. You know, what – do you think they served well enough and was that your expectation and are we seeing them now maybe run their course and we need to get those uh, injuries back healthy and on the field that's a great question you know blummer the first thing i thought of when you mentioned getting exposed is how many years 14 years in the big leagues and you were mostly a super utility guy right you talked about playing uh being inserted Mm -hmm. in the starting lineup i wonder how many times you thought about being exposed because i probably think that most guys think they could do it every day all day, um, but it is a little bit of a different mentality. I think one guy you left out is Tony Kemp. I don't, I, I don't know if he's hurt, but Tony Kemp was doing a fantastic job. I know he's not an outfielder, but he was playing outfield, infield, super utility guy. So you have guys like Kemp and Mariznick, as you already mentioned, uh, Straw. Um, you know these guys plugged in and doing a really good job. But I do think, uh, I, I think more than ability that it exposes, I think it just exposes a mentality, right? These guys are all big leaguers. To use Bregman's point from a couple podcasts ago, a couple press conferences ago, he said that, you know, somebody asked about these young guys coming up and contributing and, you know, these minor league guys. And he said, no, 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 these guys are big league guys. So I think, you know, when Mariznick, and you can attest to this too, probably, when Mariznick conditions himself to kind of play every third day or be a late night, uh, late inning defensive sub, he, you know, that's his mentality, his mindset, kind of like being a backup quarterback in the NFL, right? You know, you're kind of like, eh, you know, I might get in the fourth quarter or if somebody's injured, I got to be ready to understand the playbook. But, I, I, you know, I think exposed is a harsh word, but it, maybe it's true. I mean, there, there are guys that can handle being under the microscope and playing every day and they have super talent to be able to kind of overcome some things. We talked about Correa and Altuve and Bregman, and these guys are superstars and Verlander um, to bring in some pitchers. But uh, I think you guys have good depth. I I will kind of jump around here and say, you know, the Dodgers beat the uh, Rockies this weekend. They swept them. They had a walk-off home run by three different rookies. So when you talk about depth, I think that that's, I mean, the Dodgers are just raving about all these young guys. They come up and then they contribute. So don't know if they can be everyday players yet, but I think that's kind of how the, the guys get conditioned in. I, I watched a more Astros games than I have in the last week, and Miles Straw looks like he could play every day somewhere someday. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. But uh, I, I think they can handle it. I think they'll overcome it with their depth. Um, I think, again, it's really difficult to have depth all over the place. So you mentioned some of those position players, you know, when you go from like Tony Kemp and Straw and you got Jordan finally up in the big leagues and Springer and Marisnik and there's just these guys all over the place. Well, if you have all those guys, how can you possibly have guys to back up, you know, I, I think, you know, Will Harris or, uh, you know, Peacock or any of those guys. I mean, the depth is just not I don't think it's feasible to have depth all over the place at the big league level. So. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that that certainly is a challenge. 
it's a it's a great you bring up a great point with and probably a less cynical point than i bring up with the exposure because that's how i always felt and that's how the talk in our clubhouse was is like man i'm gonna get overexposed out here if i'm out here for too long but i love the fact that you you explain the mentality of it because when you are on some of these championship teams and you break with a team like the houston astros jake marisnik knows his job he knows his role and that's a part of what makes a very good team is that you know what your role is on that team. If you're in question the entire time, you're going to wake up from day to day and go, man, am I the shortstop today or am I the left fielder today? Or am I going to come in late and have to finish, uh, you know, have an AB against the closer? So AJ Hinch has done a very good job. And so has Jeff Luno putting the, constructing this roster in a sense where you've got eight legitimate starters that are out there. And then your guys on the bench understand what their purpose is and therefore they can get their mind right, like Tuttle is saying, and get focused and get prepared for the opportunity that's given to them in whatever that situation is. Now that situation changes. They get to go out there on a daily basis, and now they get to see if they're able to make those adjustments from day to day and see what other teams are doing to them. But, uh, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Other guys adjust quicker than others. Other, some guys just flat out don't adjust, and they're just who they are. And they learn to deal with it in that sense and wait for some mistakes at the plate. But the other thing that's kind of maybe goes unnoticed is all of those guys have gotten experience on a championship team playing championship baseball, so to speak, in the big leagues. And I, I believe, I firmly believe that all of that experience is only going to pay dividends down the line. So they've got that going for them. And you brought up Jordan. My gosh, what an absolute phenom this guy has turned into. He's doing things that have never been done in Major League Baseball with his seven home runs, 16 RBIs and 12 games played. It's ridiculous stuff. So with Springer and Altuve and potential, you know, and eventually Correa coming back, the ro- talk about depth. That is one hell of a lineup when it sets up with Jordan being in the middle of the lineup with that kind of power. Yeah, it was awesome to watch him. And uh, you guys had a comp, like who was your nearest comp? I know I texted you during the game. I, I It's probably too early because he's not an outfielder. I don't know if he has a cannon or what, but Dave Parker was the guy I thought of when he was standing at the plate. Love it. I mean, just just a big guy who knows how to hit for average as well. I mean, that's the thing that's impressive. It's one thing to see a guy take BP and hit moon shots. It's another thing to watch him come up and spit on pitches and get the, you know, work the count and get ahead in the count and drive the ball the other way. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's as good as advertised and, uh, you know, uh, people make such a big, I don't know. They make a big deal about the disparity between the minor leagues and the big leagues, but you know, triple a baseball, if you're hitting 20 home runs in a month down in triple a baseball, this isn't like, it's not like he just, you know, crawled out of bed and, you know, he's playing baseball down at the rec, you know, down at the park with a bunch of dudes. And then he got, I mean, he, he obviously had some ability and some talent and those guys were trying to expose him just like the big league uh, pitchers are. And yeah, it, he's impressive to watch. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he fits in when everybody comes back and is healthy. So that's a lot of Astros talk, huh? It is a lot of Astros talks, but it's fun because I think Jordan's one of those guys that showed up with so much expectation and then he provided more with the power he's got. So it's been a lot of fun and you've got to be prepared. We talked about some of the ebbs and flows in baseball, Tuttle being on the pitching side. You know, if you're in the dugout or you're in the bullpen or you're in a rotation, you're watching what this guy is doing at the plate and somehow you're trying to formulate with your guys out there, how do we get this guy out? Do you see any weaknesses in what his approach is? 
where his swing path is. And so it'll be fun for me to see how some of the league adjusts to what he's doing because we've seen him hit changeups out the other way. We've seen him hit fastballs to the pull side. Uh, like Tuttle said, he's spitting on pitches that are just barely off the zone, so he's got great discipline. But eventually there's going to be a time where the league finds him out a little bit, and it'll be interesting to me to see how he adjusts to that. But that's when he'll start leaning on those guys around him, some of those younger guys who have gone through similar struggles and how to adjust to that. So that'll be a lot of fun to, to uh, eventually watch and think about. And you, do you want, you got something to finish on? Yeah, just, you know, what you just said about the exposure thing. I, I think this is where, this is, that's always kind of the line of demarcation. I mean, this is the the line that, that, that gets drawn in the sand. I, I think when Bregman came up uh, two or three years ago, obviously he signed a, a long-term deal. The first year, they're kind of like, yeah, you know, Bregman, he's going to be a good asset, and he really helped him in the playoffs, the World Series run. That was his first year. Am I not mistaken, right, 2017? Yeah. Yeah, so he came up and was a contributor, but the conversation was very similar to this conversation. And I think this conversation was probably had about Jeff Blum at some point. Like, all right, he's playing <laughs> shorts up every day. Like, like who? And, and I don't mean that – no, I don't mean that you didn't overcome. I'm saying – Nobody really knows what your role is. And when you come in and you kind of have a burst, you burst onto the scene as it's, as it is, you know, there's guys batting 400. I saw a guy came up and got four hits in his first four at bats, right? This year, he's <laughs> going to bat a thousand. Like you're not going to bat a thousand for your career. So how do you handle that? And how do you fit in? It'll be interesting to see because it, it, it's like a comet at the beginning, you know, it's a rocket that's taking off and we don't know if he's going to level off and be a 250 hitter in the middle of the order, or if he's going to be, you know, if he's going to go Chris Davis on you and hit 180 and not get a hit for 70 at bats. I mean, all these, we talked about it with the teams, just like with the teams, it's a streaky game. They had a seven game losing streak. It's not going to affect the Astros outlook. Maybe if you go 0 for 17, it doesn't affect a guy like this because he has so much talent and ability. So this is, it'll be interesting to see how he finishes out the year. But like you said, he's off to a hot start and that's, I mean, that's great for the Astros. Absolutely. It's incredible. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. And again, he'll be in a lineup that he's pretty well protected with some of those uh, superstars around him. So they, hopefully the expectation level, he doesn't feel too much of that. Uh, 21. I think he's going to be 22 here pretty soon. I know that it is, what is today? Tuesday, the 25th that we're recording this. So I think he's turning 22 pretty soon, which is amazing to think about. But uh, high expectations, high energy level. He's a lot of excitement. And I'm sure a lot of fans will be showing up at the ballpark to watch him play because tonight, Tuttle hinted at it, Springer will be in the lineup. We've seen a couple of roster moves. I believe Colin McHugh's coming back. I think Rogelio Armenteros is the guy out of the bullpen moving for Colin McHugh. And then George Springer coming back will move left-handed reliever Ramin Goudouin back down to AAA. Those are just uh, some easy moves for Jeff Luno to get some of the superstars and some of the guys back in there. McHugh, I believe, will go into the bullpen and provide a little bit of length out of that bullpen and maybe be that bridge guy that we were talking about. And uh, there's always the potential that Colin McHugh moves back into that rotation. So we have we have gotten we've gotten done with the Astros and Tuttle initiated it, man. You have been all over this, and I love the fact that you're texting me during these games because you know, believe it or not, a lot of people will tweet me during the game and I'll try and answer some of the questions, but that's what I try and do too. Uh, I'll have to add you to my list because Jeff Bagwell is a guy who texts me all the time watching these games, but uh, Tuttle's jumping in on the action, man. And I love the fact that you're not afraid to text me during the game. Just don't ask me to say anything goofy other than on w Weird Word Wednesday. 
Yeah, no problem. I mean, I got a shout out. I already bragged about that before. You know, Buttle Tuttle say got a little pub. So the more I text you, maybe the more uh, the more uh, shout outs I get in general. But uh, I always, I think I started texting you when I realized you would actually text me back. I think I texted you during a game one time, expecting you to get back to me the next day. You know, just hey, what do you think about this? And you're like, oh, during the middle of the game, you're texting me. You know, there's a moment of silence there where. TK is looking for some feedback and you're texting. So who knows? <laughs> no, well, <laughs> I'm glad to be in the same category as Bagwell harassing you during the game. No, it's awesome. And that, you know, a lot of people try, there, there's a lot of uh, curiosity on how I actually pull that off. And, you know, it's funny. We talked about how I have the headset on. So I'm listening to TK and Julia in my left ear while they're talking. Sometimes I'll hear the producer and then I've got my, you know, the Twitter machine is up and I'm trying to go through some tweets. Tuttle's texting me. Um, you, you know, and even and I'll even have my kids try and FaceTime me while the game is going on. So it's it gets kind of hairy up there. But for whatever reason, I I, I love the environment. But it also kind of reminds me of of how I feel like we're trying to do our our broadcast and kind of how we're trying to do our podcast is you're sitting on the couch or you're sitting at the bar top and you've got your boys, your girls, your friends, whoever's around you who loves the game or loves whatever banter you're bringing, but you, you, you know, you're sipping on a coldie and you're watching a ball game on that screen. You're watching a West coast game on that other screen. There's a golf match over there and you can hear some of the peripheral conversations that are going on and you, you try and hold on to those thoughts and respond. But uh, I, I, I don't know if I thrive on it, but I definitely do enjoy it. And I, I, you know, I hope it comes across that way too. It definitely does. You're, you're great at multitasking. My, my favorite thing that you do on Twitter is uh, people will send you a photo of you guys sitting up in the booth and you just say, I think you send back a sup, like, right? What's up, Blummer? What's up, TK? You're always like, sup. You know, there's people around the stadium. I mean, this this social media modern technology age is, is uh, something new to all of us. And uh, it's really cool that uh, fans are able to interact and uh, connect. And they're able to interact and connect, and fans have already done it with me on Cameo. But, we, I mean, we've got a major announcement today. Cameo is an app that you can go on and you can get, you know, pay for a shout-out from a famous celebrity. And guess who is now on Cameo? Tuttle finally popped the cork and made it happen, man. How are you feeling? Are you nervous? Not nervous at all. I just think it's hilarious that it's uh, – that that you mention it's fame i think that's funny yeah my, my five me and my 400 followers on twitter are gonna be famous soon but uh no the podcast followers we talked about the downloads and the the following and the opinions and you know it's it's been great so the fact that you kind of introduced me to cameo and i know that you've had some shout outs and some funny ones done i've seen it in other walks of life uh the crossfit environment that i'm involved in there's some guys there that do shout outs and things like that so i i, I kind of like the app and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to hooking some people up with shout outs. That's the whole idea. So uh, Mr. Famous Real David Tuttle is, is ready for y'all to, uh, to uh, hit me up on Cameo. That's right. And uh, I think it's awesome that you're able to do that. And what's great, too, that a lot of people may not realize is, is that you actually get to see Tuttle's face. So I, right now in the podcast world, if you're not following David Tuttle, you've got to get on Twitter and follow him at Real David Tuttle. He has got the Tuttle quote of the day, which are always inspirational, always thought-provoking, and a lot of fun. But at the same time, I mean, if you're just staring at the avatar, you don't get a real feel for who David Tuttle is. You need to hear the voice match up with the face 
It is it is so worth it. So I so highly recommend you get on Cameo and get that shout out from Tuttle, whether it's a birthday, uh, you know, an anniversary, just some motivation, or if you're trying to rag on your fantasy teammates. I know that's a couple. I've done a couple of those that I've really enjoyed. It, ha- it it's been really not mundane, but it's been really carefully uh, done, and it's a lot of fun. So make sure you get at Real David Tuttle on Twitter on Cameo. He'll give you a shout out. He already mentioned that we're we're doing good as far as the downloads and the subscriptions, and that is all because of our fans. We love you out there. You're doing a great job. You encourage us to continue to get out here and get on this podcast, which is a lot of fun. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, share it with your friends, uh, share it at the water cooler. Hopefully it provokes a lot of conversation. Um, I only have one more announcement before we get into what will Tuttle say, and that is this Thursday is going to be a day game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And that night, I will be at the Hay Merchant uh, at 6 p.m. for a St. Arnold event. So go to my Twitter, at Blummer27. I have it posted on there. And then you can go to my Instagram also. And I've got a picture with a lot of the information and where to go on Thursday night. What is that? The 27th at 6 p.m. at the Hay Merchant. We It's about halfway through the season. Can you believe it or not, Total? It's halfway through the season. And I know as of right now, your kids have probably told you we're halfway to Christmas. Six months away is Christmas, so start getting prepared for that. But that Thursday will be great because halfway through the season, we'll have an update. It's a good time to reminisce, celebrate, and of course, hydrate with a couple of St. Arnold's cold beverages with yours truly. But that being said, it is now that, oh wait, we got something else. What's up? No, no, just before Weddle Tuttle say, I'm sorry. I, I had two things. I apologize. You were just leading me in there into my favorite segment also. Oh, this is what we do, man. Bring I got gotcha. you. Hey, uh, so do you, are you allowed to uh, imbibe the Frosty Beverages there as your St. Arnold sponsor? Do you usually have a couple with the fans? That's the question. A- absolutely. I've got my St. Arnold's jersey on, and on the back of it, it says Blummer 27. And at the same time, I'm taking photos. I am partaking of the, uh, the fine beer that uh, St. Arnold comes out with. Uh, I think last time out... I was at the Flying Saucer downtown, and I think I had a couple of Citrodos IPAs, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed them. But yeah, I'm, I'm, dude, I'm a man of the people. I get in there and grind. I talked about it, man. I sit at the bar, talk some baseball, and have some fun. Nice. Well, that sounds fun. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to uh, make it out after the day game on Thursday. Um, and then the other question I had last time we discussed coffee uh, pretty uh, extensively. I uh, want to know. Do you order regular coffee when you're in New York City? And you know regular coffee? It's my favorite. No. No, you just go down the lobby and get Starbucks or whatever on your way and No, there was there was actually a French cafe down the street and I got an absolutely incredible <laughs> went to a French uh cafe to get a an Americano. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Americano I think is a French word. They just, you know, Americano. They just add the hot water to it. No, I'm kidding. Yep. I have no idea. I'm sure it's an Italian word. The uh, the regular coffee in New York, you know, is two creams, two sugars. And when I thought about you in New York City, you know, you ever watch like Law and Order, they have those blue cups with the white writing, like that's the famous one. But that's what I love yep. about New York. We talked about drinking any coffee. I'm, I'm with you. I like good roasted, like grinded beans fresh. And, you know, the real coffee, the French bistro probably has the best coffee, but nothing like... Uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans, right? So in New York City, I always order regular coffee, which uh, two creams, two sugars. 
too sweet mm-hmm. for me, but uh, pretty good coffee. I just didn't know if you partook at all. So no, I'm a big coffee guy, but there there's moments where I just don't, I, you know, I, I won't go venturing out far enough to to really enjoy it or do do what the true coffee, you know, uh, what do we got? Coffee snobs, coffee snobs aficionado i was gonna say but you can call me a say, snob i'm if always you want. the That's one that fine. goes a little, like the next step <laughs> I, I try to be pc about it but i can't and i can't the only word i can remember is snob but aficionado would actually be that and always remember what is it glenn gary glenn ross i believe was the movie coffee is for closers and you're not a closer it's one of the best lines ever. abc always be closing <laughs> yes that's my boy right there title all right so you ready? You're, you seem a little fired up. And the fact that you came up with another line out of that really fires me up. So we're going to get right into it. It is that time. What'll Tuttle say? All right. So I got tons of stuff today, but uh, I'm going to stick with the format. For What'll Tuttle say, we got two. One serious and one more lighthearted. We may have to finish the uh, podcast with some other stuff. So my uh, my first topic in What'll Tuttle say, um, more of Blummer talking probably than me talking because it's more of a question. But uh, Jason Vargas and Mickey Calloway had a little run-in with the uh, reporter in the clubhouse, and I just think... I must be getting really old. I must be getting really old because I'm like, I happen to know Jason Vargas uh, from Long Beach State. He was there right around the same time as Jared Weaver and uh, met his dad. And anyway, I've rubbed elbows with him before. He has put in a good career, man. He has stuck it out. I mean, he's going to, his pension will be fine. Uh, and, uh, and he's actually pitching really well this year. But he, anyway, I, I knew him a long time ago, let's say, when I met him. But, uh, Dude, like, are you you're threat? Are you threatening me? That's like Beavis and Butthead. He threatened a reporter. He was gonna kick his ass, like, and punk him. Like, I, like I said, I'm almost fifty years old. I'm trying to be uh, maybe a little more lighthearted. And there are times when you need to be ferocious, especially uh, in a dog eat dog like cutthroat world. So you know you want to be ultimately competitive, but. Uh, threatening a reporter to kick the shit out of him and beat him up and you know take him out of the clubhouse is just gosh it's unprofessional and it's like what do you get out of that so yes jason vargas gave the reporter a black eye and he's never going to come back in he punched his lights out like i i understand this that reporters can be needling and they can be a little bit biting and sarcastic and the mets and the so I, I saw this on Twitter that somebody thinks the Mets and the Jets are being run by the same general manager. I thought that was hilarious. That's a so, good one. So they're obviously having some issues, but typically this is what, and you know this too, like when you're having a crummy day, right? Everything kind of, when that rain cloud's following you around, uh, you can take it out on other people. So if, instead of just rambling on, I, I can understand the mentality, but I think it's misguided and please correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you, you got to protect the clubhouse. You got to protect the players in it, but uh, I, I don't know. I think threatening reporters is the, is the wrong way to go. There are so many better ways to handle it. I've seen Alex Bregman be frustrated with some reporters. <laughs> they just one word answer him. I mean, you know, there's other ways to do it. 
But uh, anyway, I'd love to have your feedback on that because Jason Vargas looked, I thought he looked foolish. Mickey Calloway yesterday couldn't even apologize. He had to have a press conference and then he had a press conference to come back in and say, what I meant to say was, oh yeah, I am sorry about what happened. Instead of when his first press conference, he said, you know, I'm a really competitive guy. What does that have to do with like throwing a dude out of the clubhouse, especially a guy who's not playing? He's just trying to understand uh, the dynamic that's going on in the Mets clubhouse. So without further ado, Mr. Blum, what do you got for me? Well, you nailed it, and I was kind of curious to see where you, where you were going with this because there, as long as an, a professional athlete has had any kind of a reporter in the in the clubhouse or doing interviews post game, there has been frustration. There's been, and especially in baseball, baseball is so much more exaggerated because you're playing 162 games, then you get to the playoffs and you're playing hopefully another 11, 12 games. So it just there's so much opportunity for the frustration. And there's so many more opportunities for personality conflicts because you, you're not going to get along with everybody. It's physically impossible. Um, but I, I'm with you in the sense that why threaten the guy, man? That That is so pointless and worthless because what happens? Nothing good comes out of that. You deck him, you're the guy that punched a, a reporter. Big deal. If you get decked, you're the idiot that got knocked out by a reporter. Not that it would ever get physical. But when you say things like that and you create that kind of conversation, it doesn't usually go the athlete's way unless you're in the like 100% in the right. But it just it, it paints you in a bad in a, into a bad corner. It spiraled out of control. The Mets and the Jets comparison made me giggle because I hadn't heard that yet. And that's pretty damn funny because that's kind of how the public perception of the Jets is. Now it's becoming that perception of how the Mets are run. It's just kind of a, a, a you know madhouse of guys trying to figure it out. They've got talent. Why can't they win? And then uh, you have uh, Vargas threaten the reporter. And I want to reiterate what you just said. If there are any potential athletes out there or if there are actual athletes who are listening to this podcast. And we t- how, many, how often did we talk about this? The athlete controls the narrative. If you want to blow that guy up, there's ways to blow that guy up. Or you just give him those one-word answers. Don't give him what he's needling for. And that's what Vargas did is he gave him what he wanted. That guy knew he was going to be able to poke the bear and get the reaction that he wanted. So he went for it, got it. And now here we are with seven apology conferences later. Nobody's figured out what the heck to do. And Mickey Calloway and Vargas still look like you know, they don't know what they're doing. But if he would have sat there and said, no, yes, no, wrong, you know, and then left or said what he wanted to do and just walked away, he would have been fine. It's, it's, it's nasty. It's spiraled out of control this day and age of the 24 hour, 24, seven, 24 hour news cycle uh, has not done them well, but just remember as an athlete, be, be well-educated, be smart, take your time. If somebody's asking you a question, stop. Let it sink in. Think about your thought, not your initial thought, but think about a thought that you want to represent you. Because in this day and age, much like this podcast, it ain't ever going to disappear. That thing's going to follow you around. Yeah, and I think we all know that controversy kind of gets hits and likes. And that's, you know, and maybe the reporter was doing it on purpose. But boy, as my wife says, when my nine-year-old gets the best of me, what are you doing? Right. Like, what are you doing? You're 50 year old and you're the father and you're in charge. And the nine year old is running you around the house like a mad person. Like, that's exactly what happened in this situation. And, and I realize these are competitive guys and, you know, maybe not quite as old or as mature as 
we'd like to think. Um, but like you said, I think they can control the narrative and nobody likes rooting for the bully, right? They always root yep. for the underdog. And in that scenario, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I think Jason Vargas was in the right. Yeah, he should beat the crap out of that guy. Like th nobody's going to root for a professional athlete to beat the crap out of a reporter. I mean, it's just not going to happen, even if, like you said, the reporter happened to be in the wrong. So, you know, the other thing I wanted to ask, and it kind of ties to this because of the controversy aspect, um, the topic, the subject matter may be a little adult, but I won't necessarily say what it was. But I didn't know if you saw that girl on Twitter that said if Tyler White hits a grand slam, she'd get a tattoo. Did you see that? Oh, my gosh, yes. One of the yeah. better so, tweet threads I've ever seen, too. Oh, yeah. So I started reading the thread, and I'm like, oh, no. Like, she's in trouble. So yesterday, she had to come out and, like, shut it down. Like, she's like, I never said it'd be permanent. And anyway, she said she'd get it. So just for the audience, she said she would get a tattoo, an unusual tattoo in an unusual place if a certain player hit a grand slam. Well, two pitches later, he hit a grand slam. And, I mean, she had tweets from radio broadcasts. And, I mean, and I, I kind of feel like this is the Jason Vargas thing all over. I'm, I'm trying to kind of draw a parallel here. Basically, this is an unknown gal who said something kind of controversial. Controversial. And, like, every like every news outlet that could get a hold. I work for ESPN in Milwaukee. I work for ESPN in Houston. And we want to we'll, – we'll pay for the tattoo, and we'll have you on the show to do it. And she – she basically had to come out and said, look, that was like a figure of speech. I never said I'd get a permanent tattoo and leave me alone is what she said. But, you know, we got to be careful, as you already pointed out, what we uh, what we promise and what we put out there uh, for all recorded history, whether it be written or verbal. Yeah. Careful of what you wish for, because it may just happen. I know that in, you know, in her defense, Tyler White had not had an RBI that entire road trip. I believe he had been over with the bases loaded, and I believe the Astros had been struggling the entire trip, anyways. And he was hitting, I think at the time, maybe a buck fifty-six with runners in scoring position alone, and the bases are loaded. You're in the middle of a seven-game losing streak. There, desperation set in, and she went for it and tweeted it out, and it will never disappear ever again because that text thread will live in infamy because of what she texted or tweeted out there. And so that's in her defense, but at the same time, again, think it. Don't tweet it. That was terrible. But, I mean, it was absolute comedy following that thread going down there. So be, be careful what you wish for, number one. And how about how about your 15 minutes of fame? That That's what she is now going to be known for. Oh, you're the girl that said you'd get that tattoo on your back. <laughs> I mean, like you said, if that were my daughter, I would be sick to my stomach. That's all. So, look, I was not trying to make that the lighthearted part, but Jason Vargas and our lovely gal from Twitter. I mean, let's let's think before we speak, and that's that's the advice from the the 50-year-old man here, uh, real David Tuttle. My uh, my second topic for uh, for what will Tuttle say? Almost forgot the name of the segment. What is the name of the segment? Oh yeah, what will Tuttle say? Thank you. Um, again. Not as controversial as WWE, and maybe not as crazy as toothpa toothpaste, but uh, I guess I'm staying staying in the uh, in the bathroom in the uh, medicine cabinet. So I don't I don't know what's up with that, but I think we missed our calling, and maybe we can pull this as a sponsor. But we're in the wrong business. We should be in the razor business. I just saw an ad for a heated razor, like uh, the electric toothbrush, and you put your Gillette razor 
and it warms the blades of your uh, of the razor. But I thought, you know, they went from one Bic razor to like three blades to five blades, and now there's a heated razor. I saw an ad the other night for, uh, I mean, basically it's an electric trimmer, but they call it a manscaper, so it's a, basically a marketing. I mean, hasn't everybody ever, like, if you've shaved your neck or anything like that, you just have a razor. It's just a razor. Just get an electric razor. Why do we have to call it a manscaper or the five-bladed or the heated thing or Anyway, we missed our calling because I think Gillette's probably doing really well in the in this business. And obviously, um, I don't know if you've seen like Harry's Shave Club and the Dollar Shave Club and things like that. There are people that are trying to, um, I don't know if capitalize is the right word. There are people that are trying to change the narrative on this. But man, a heated razor. I mean, the marketing and the advertising. Now they have like a sensitive face guy razor. Gillette has an extra padded cushion lubrication something. And I just thought... Oh my God. Like I only shave like every third day. Like I, and, and when you do go actually buy razors, they're like $7,000. Like I don't even buy the big pack. It's kind of like filling up your gas tank when you were in college. It's like you should fill up the gas tank because the gas will stay in there, but you only have $30 in your wallet and it's like 70 to fill it up. And so you're like, yeah, just give me 20 on pump three. And then like three days later, you're back at the gas station. Like, putting nickels and dimes together that's what this is like you go in there and you're like oh yeah i got i got money in my wallet today i got a hundy i'm gonna buy like 20 razors you go in there like 20 razors are two thousand dollars you're like um i'll just i'll just take like two two razors this time here i i got i got a hundred dollars i'll just take two razors so anyway i just i just can't believe that that much technology goes into the uh the shaving uh industry and i i don't know i mean I like looking at Mercedes-Benz cars. I don't own one, but they put a lot of, or a Tesla, those things are cool. All the technology goes into them. I just never thought a Razor would be the equivalent of, uh, you know, a high-performance automobile, but uh, the cost and the uh, research seem to be about the same. I cannot believe that you don't put enough effort into your appearance that you don't take care of yourself, Tuttle. You just ambush your face with one razor. You're probably out there with the brush and the shaving, you know, shaving cream. You're you're sharpening your one blade on the on the leather strap next to the chair that you've got. I mean, what do you live in the old west, not the wild west? No. Hey, dude, if if there if there is enough sensitivity in this world right now where they're gonna market the hell out of it and go get them some. I myself am a dollar shave club guy because I didn't want to pay the $7 million for the $7,000 for the razors because I like Tuttle. Uh, I might be even worse than you. I mean, I, I can go a week, literally seven days without shaving my face. And I still look, you know, maybe like I've got a two o'clock shadow. You know, I'm, I'm still, it, it would take me two weeks to get to five o'clock. So I, I, I ration the money and I save the money and I budget it elsewhere because I don't, number one, don't have to shave very often. I'm thankful if I get hot water to shave my face with, uh, but man, yeah, the shaving industry is an interesting industry. And I didn't realize I saw something today that showed this lady in a tub and she was shaving one way. And then there was another set of razors on that same blade that could bring it back the other way. So she wouldn't have to take the extra time to bring the razor back to the top and go back down. So it was just go back and forth and erase the hair from your body. High so tech, baby. It doesn't, it, it, what, 
Yeah, you know it. And it, it's crazy, but it should shock me that somebody wants to heat their razor. But dang, man, there is there is somebody out there that goes, oh, man, I've been waiting for this my whole life to be able to hit up, heat up my razor so to shave my face better. Come on. How do you have I me? Mean, dude, I mean, I understand it's a new era, but man, you got there's got to be a part of you that and this is we're going to get ragged on for being overly masculine. But uh, there's got to be a part of you that says, man, if I got stuck out in the woods for two months or, if the you know, if the world ended, I'd be able to survive. Those guys who are buying the heated razors, I got, I got I'm questioning if whether or not they'd be able to survive. I like that. That's kind of where I was going with that. You know, and at some point, I think I got like the single blade, then the triple blade and then the five blades. I really like the Gillette. It was the sensor or something. I'm like, oh, yeah, three blades are way better than one. I like this. But at some point, I just stopped. I was like, all right, that's the technology. Now I'm, I'm good. I mean, they got the technology that I need to shave my face. So anyway, I just I just keep seeing the ads and the ads and the ads and the ads. And I just thought, man, I, I just, you know, and maybe we can get some tweets about what kind of men use the heated razor or the sensitive blade thing. Or, you know, I'm sure there's all different kinds. But uh, maybe we should start, uh, start a Bleacher Blums uh shave club or something like that that might be good a good good industry <laughs> cottage industry but you know five dollars a month we'll send you the once a week razor because i need to shave every fourth fifth day and you need to shave every seventh day so we, we we can find a way to market this yeah send me five bucks and i'll send you my used razors that's right. all right well that's it that's all i got for Waddle tuttle say uh, excellent stuff there, Tuttle. You always seem to reach a little bit deeper and shock me with some of the thoughts that you are having while we are not talking on a daily basis. So highly entertaining stuff. Uh, we've taken care of the Astros. I don't know what I want to do next. We'll probably just move right into Blum and Blummer, I guess. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. Jeff Blum's full of shit, man. So Blum and Blummer is going to talk about two guys. And I've mentioned it on radio. I've mentioned it on podcasts. I've mentioned it on our broadcast. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's two totally different situations. And the two guys I'm talking about are Alex Rodriguez, who's going to have an article coming out in Sports Illustrated on how he's totally reinvented himself. And then Lou Pinnell is another one. A lot of people ask, you know, why, you know, it's not necessarily hatred, but it's maybe a certain disdain or dislike or concern. And I'll start with A-Rod because that'll probably be the quickest one. I, on the field, I appreciated everything he did until I found out that uh, he had been doing steroids multiple times. So that's where I kind of checked out. But my initial interaction with Alex Rodriguez was 2004 when I was with the Tampa Bay Rays. We had opening day in Japan. And I was playing, we're playing against the Yankees. A-Rod's on the, uh, A-Rod is on the Yankees. And we had a pre-workout a couple of days before any of the games were supposed to happen. And they had set times. The Tampa Bay Rays at the time would go out at four o'clock. And at seven o'clock, the New York Yankees would go out and do their uh, workout. And it was be in front of fans. So four o'clock, we go out, we stretch, we start to take ground balls, and out of the opposing dugout comes Alex Rodriguez at four thirty, five o'clock, and I'm gone. What's this guy doing, man? What, you know, he's got his session, and keep in mind the Tampa Bay Rays at the time were not nearly as good as the Rays are now, 
and we were kind of a scrap heap of ball players going out there and playing. And the fans were kind of huddled around our dugout watching the workout. And as soon as he gets on the warning track to quote unquote work out or get loose or train or whatever the heck he was doing with his, his personal trainer, all the fans started to migrate out there. And he starts waving and he's just, and he just made it all about A-Rod in that moment. I was just kind of like, man, that sucked. Come to find out he does the steroids. He gets the 200 plus game suspension. And now he is on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. I don't care how you feel about him as a broadcaster. I don't, I, I don't watch Sunday Night Baseball uh, because usually we're traveling and I'm watching the game on an airplane or uh, I'm hanging out with the family. So it's not a priority of mine and it's nothing against his broadcast ability. I think he knows the game, but it's hard for me to sometimes take knowledge from a guy who knowingly cheated to be better than somebody. And it also, the part that frustrates me is that Major League Baseball allows him to be the face of the game, even though he cheated it to the point where he got the largest suspension other than Pete Rose in, in Major League Baseball. So that being said, and I mean, Tuttle, if you want to jump in on A-Rod or Lou Pinello, feel free at any time to holler at me. But uh, Lou Pinello is the guy in 2004. The reason I don't like Lou Pinello is because in spring training in 2004, I got traded from Houston to the Tampa Bay Rays. And at the time in my career, I was a 262 average and I had 48 home runs and 217 RBIs in four, in four years, four and a half years. And two or three games into spring training, he takes me in a cage out behind center field and looks at me and goes, son, you're never going to hit in the big leagues like this. And I, and that's where he completely lost me. And I put my head down. I tried to make the adjustments, but uh, that that's where we kind of broke loose. And then the stories ensue. And I don't have enough time to tell those stories, but that that is the initial response to why I don't talk highly of those two guys. And I don't know how you feel about a Rod because you've obviously you, you know being watching the game, staying in tune with the news, and watching him broadcast probably have more of an idea than you do on Lou Pinella. But Lou Pinella is just not uh, one of the nicer people I've ever run into. I'm I'm always the buzzkill, man. You're like the uplifting, funny razor guy. No, no, you're not. I have I have opinions on both those guys. Look, no, that's well, that's just because I add two <laughs> topics in my segment, so we can end with something funny if we want. Um, so a rod, I don't know very well. I did play minor league ball against uh against Derek Jeter, so um, and I had nothing but good things to say about that guy. That guy was I was 21 and he was 18 in Greensboro, North Carolina, and. Uh, I just thought, you know, for an 18-year-old, you could see how he handled himself. Um, A-Rod always, to me, even when he was drafted, like, it was he drafted number one overall, I believe, right, by the Mariners out of Florida? Yeah, Yeah, like 93, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. 93, 94. Yeah, so I was already, you know, an A-ball, double-A playing, and I remember all the hype and the pomp and the circumstance that went along with that. I do think from afar, I don't have any personal interaction with him. From afar, he just seemed to be an attention getter. And, uh, and he does, he seems to make it all about him. So I, I can only just support what you said about that. Now, Lou Pinella, I think I've told you this off air. I mean, this, this baseball world is one thing, you know, playing in the minor leagues for nine years or playing in the big leagues for 14 years. We talked about Randy Wynn or, you know, guys that, you know, we know in common that we played against cause Bay area baseball, Zuber, Mike Harrison, guys like that. Um, you know, just guys Good that name. you come in. Yeah, there you go. Guys you come in contact with, whether you played college ball or professional ball, these are guys that you and I both know in common. 
Well, Lou Pinella, I got drafted by the Cincinnati Reds in 1991. Lou Pinella was the manager of the Cincinnati Reds. And so my first... Wow, there you go. There you go. So my first interaction with, with him was very similar to yours. So um, you may know... So you were... Was that 2004 you met him? You said you got traded? Yes. Yeah. So gosh, you met him like 10 to 13 years after I did, which is hilarious. And it doesn't sound like you changed a lot. So... With uh, Rob Dibble and the Nasty Boys, Lou Pinella won the World Series in 1990 with the Cincinnati Reds. They won the World Series. And I got drafted by them in 91, show up to, uh, it actually was instructional league. So before spring training, you know what that is, but the fans may not. But there's kind of like a winter ball for the young guys. And it's about a month down in uh, the spring training site, and they kind of get a handle of their younger prospects they want to see who's going on and they don't want you to go home for five months either and just do nothing so there's a there's a little instructional league and Lou Pinella had been at the World Series they won in 1990 then he went in 1991 I guess to watch the World Series or something and he came down to instructional league to kind of check out the young guys as on his way home I think he lives in Tampa or he was living in Tampa at the time and we were right to outside of Tampa so Lou Pinella walked out one day and everyone's like oh my god there's Lou Pinella. Oh, he's great. There's Lou. And he kind of walked out with, you know, the GM and one other guy sat back there behind home plate with us. And we're doing all the charting and the radar gunning and, you know, and Lou Pinella was just, he took off his shirt. That was the first thing he did. He had a golf shirt on and he's a, he's a super tan, like old school Italian guy. Like if Lou Pinella didn't do baseball, he'd probably be like a mafioso. It was, it, 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 the thing it reminds me of now is like an episode of The Sopranos. But basically, Lou Pinella walked out, sat like three chairs away from us while we're charting. You know, oh, that was 89 on the outside. You know, it was a ball. It was a strike. You know, pitchers have to chart. He took off his shirt to get a tan. He's already tan. He's got a big belly. And he's like, he looked at the pitcher. And the pitcher, I, 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 he'll remain nameless now. But if we ever want to say his name, we could. I mean, he was a fourth round pick out of Auburn. Never made the big leagues. Kind of a cocky guy, but nice guy. And uh, he goes, who the fuck's this guy? This is Lou Pinella. Who the fuck's this guy? Oh, yeah, okay, look at, oh, man, he's, you know, and just kind of the same attitude, like, oh, this guy's never going to make it, you know, kind of, he didn't say that out loud, but, like, there's 10 or 20 minor league guys there. This is our first experience in, in you know, professional baseball. And I'm like, oh, this is what professional baseball's like? I mean, this guy, like, kind of hung over, like, sweating and, you know, like, beer belly, tan, like, sitting there with no shirt on. And he's the face of the franchise. Could you imagine, like, A.J. Hinch rolling out, like, taking off his shirt, <laughs> putting his feet up? and and But to your point, and this is going to close this all out because I'm just rambling on. This is your first kind of – that was your first interaction with the big league manager of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Like, you were – you had been in the big leagues. You obviously got traded there and – all that, but I mean, this was my first interaction in professional baseball with anybody that I even knew. Like, you know, oh, I've seen Lou Pinella on TV, or oh, I, I used to watch him hit for the Yankees. Actually, a pretty good hitter. Um, you know, like that's Lou Pinella, and here he comes, and you're just like, really? Like, my parents taught me way better manners than that, and etiquette, and all. Anyway, just so I don't have anything nice to say about Lou Pinella. I have some other stories like that, but. Uh, it's amazing that we made it this far, right, in professional baseball when your first interaction is with a guy who's like, meh, you know. But I, to, to, hit, to your point, too, wouldn't it have been great to have been on Lou Pinella's good side? Holy cow. 
Like, I wonder who those guys were. Yeah, I wonder how they created that relationship because I have absolutely no understanding of what that would actually be like. But, uh, but 2004 was a year long uh, back and forth between Lou and I. I've told stories about how we almost fought in Boston. But uh, just to give you an idea of what Lou could be like, and I don't know if you thought he was being funny or whatever, but I think the reputation and like Tuttle is talking about your initial interaction with the guys that he was just above you and would talk down to you and belittle you. There was a there was a, a moment in Ta in Tampa Bay, obviously. Hitter strikes out. It wasn't me, thank God, uh, that time. But uh, a hitter strikes out, comes back, slams his bat puts his helmet in the rack, sits down on the bench. Lou Pinella comes over, grabs the player's bat, picks it up, practice swings with it, kind of, sort of, throws it back in the bat rack and says, oh, for Christ's sakes, no wonder you can't hit. Bat feels like shit. And I went, oh, man. So that, that was kind of the, the dugout interaction with Lou Pinella. And I know that I am Captain Buzzkill, but uh, never underestimate that initial first uh, response of being with uh, somebody and that first impression. And how about you? Got, do you, do you want to hit on anything else? Cause that's going to end blum and blummer for me. That's just, I wanted to get that explanation out there. And truth be told, I did not set up Tuttle for the Lou Pinella explanation. He did that entirely on his own, out of his own volition, but I do appreciate the, uh, the backup. Hey, I mean, people uh people are who they are right i mean that's what that's exactly what that says about lou Pinella and pretty much a rod i mean you know they made it about he made it about him and lou Pinella was a different kind of cat so uh i just think we kind of talk about our different paths to get where we are but we really have come across a lot of the same people it is a small fraternity and mm -hmm. um you know it is interesting that's kind of like uh like any other work environment, there's good people and, and, and not so good people. And you got to work with them all and learn how to get along. But uh, I don't know, Lou Pinella might say, who the hell is that guy? See, I told you, you're never going to make it. And he could say that to me. But uh, anyway, it was a really interesting interaction. He's not, he was not a great human being. So uh, I think we've come a long way from that point. But that was a long time ago. Um, I do have one more thing that just kind of relates to our jinxes are for the week. I was watching... Uh, so I wanted to open the podcast with the Women's World Cup because I know it's such a hot button item with uh, the sports fanatics out there. No, you know this too with four daughters. It's big time right now. I was just going to say with four daughters. Like, so I've got two girls that want to watch it. I'm like, all right, hey, it's sports. At least I can watch uh, watch the tactical aspect of soccer. So, uh, and the Women's World Cup is uh, is is has been great in the house, but. Uh, JP Della Camera is kind of the main commentator, and he and Allie Wagner, who's a Santa Clara alum, in case you wanted to know that, uh, are the main mm -hmm. uh, commentators and uh, color analysts for the U.S. games. So they're doing a bunch of World Cup games, but every time the U.S. is on, it's JP Della Camera and, and Allie Wagner. And JP Della Camera, after the PK yesterday for the U.S., says, uh, all right, it's uh, one nothing USA, and they have not given up a goal in the, in the regular uh, – in regular play in whatever, you know, in, in 685 minutes, uh, three minutes after the PK from the U S Spain comes down, the U S turns the ball over and they score. And he says, Oh no, the, the commentator jinx worked again. He said, I'm like, Oh my God, we've talked about that on the bleacher blum podcast. We got to get JP on here and tell him there is no such thing. As a commentator's jinx, I'm so sorry to say that, but uh, he actually apologized on air 
for jinxing the U.S. women, and uh, it made me laugh out loud. Dude, first of all, don't apologize, because what he actually said is a statement of fact. And if you're going to blame a statement of fact for something that happens later on, it, it could have happened at the next second. It happened three minutes later. It could have happened an hour afterwards. It could happen two days later, and somebody could be like, oh, he jinxed him two days ago by saying that. So, you know, jinxes don't care. That's why jinxes don't carry any weight with for me because they're, it's just a, an excuse of convenience, and it drives me nuts. And the fact I – w- I would hope that he was trying to beat fans to the punch by saying – or, or maybe tongue-in-cheek saying commentator jinx. But uh, it, it's it's crazy how often it happens, but that still doesn't make it a jinx or whatever. It's just, you know, he saw something, an interesting stat, which is most of the reason why we bring that up. But isn't it more, and you being a betting guy and me trying to understand the betting, isn't it more of an odds thing? Absolutely. I mean, I think we're going to bring this all the way back to the Tyler White comment. I mean, you were saying, look, Tyler White's hitting 130 and there's no one on base and he hasn't had an RBI in 900 years and he hasn't done this. Well, then then the point is, aren't the odds in his favor to finally do something? Right. And that's kind of what you're I mean, and that's actually why you bring it up, believe it or not. It's not that you want to jinx it. It's like, hey, you know, the U.S. hasn't given up a goal in. 700 minutes but they're going to eventually is kind of the follow-through on that sense the the reason i brought it up was for a little bit of a laugh because he's a he's a well-known soccer commentator he does all the world cups both men and women's and uh i just had to laugh out loud based on podcast number 22 from the uh, bleacher blums that we talked about jinxes are for the week there is no such thing as a commentator jinx and here i was on my couch laughing out loud with uh you know, kind of not even tongue in cheek, just snickering that he actually thought he jinxed them. So uh, I know you and I agree on that. JP, you're off the hook, buddy. It's the uh, it's the fact that they turned the ball over in their own uh, in their own half of the field that they gave up the goal, not the fact that you mentioned it. Yeah, because they they believed in themselves so much that they got complacent. We'll put it on the team. That's what I always try to do, and the athlete always takes the brunt of it. Uh, but that's why Tuttle is on this podcast. Bring it back to something that uh, he is. He is watching, and that's what uh, you're going to find out, Tuttle, is the more you do these podcasts, the more you enjoy them, the better your banter is, which has been incredible since we've started, is that you're going to start to recognize and witness some of those things start to come to fruition, or you're going to recognize maybe some of the subtle nuances that you don't normally, and that's what we want to do. We want to kind of create that conversation with everybody at home listening to this podcast that can start to notice some of those subtle intricacies of the sport and how they kind of overlap between the women's national team to baseball to the NBA and things like that. But uh, we're going to have to maybe getting back to the, to the uh, bathroom banter, we're going to pinch this one off. This is going to be the end of this podcast. That might be a little bit too crude, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. The, the quality of content is always good. Tuttle continues to bring it. Make sure you follow him on at, Real David Tuttle on Twitter, and he's on Instagram at Real David Tuttle. And of course, you can find him on Cameo, and you can ask him to give a shout out to anybody you want, and he will be more than happy to do it. He also puts up a Tuttle quote of the day, which are always good. I am at Real Blummer27 on both Instagram, Twitter. You can also find me on Cameo under that same handle. And this is that portion of the show where we really break things down and tell everybody who is in the military or has served, if you're a veteran, we absolutely love you. We appreciate everything you do. And then on the other side, at a little more closer to home, we'd like to uh, shout out to all of the first responders, uh, those who keep us out of harm's way, keep things uh, free and safe here at home and allow us to do this podcast. We absolutely appreciate you. 
uh, more than we can actually say on this podcast. But at the end of every show, we are definitely going to give you a shout out and tell you we appreciate you and thank you for everything you do. Last words until I get to that famous cutout is Tuttle. What do you got? Yeah, just to just to reiterate your shout out, uh, I, I'm I'm still working on the merch for the podcast. I mentioned that off air to you, but uh, and I'm looking at a way to uh, donate some of the proceeds from the merchandise when we get it to uh, first responders and the like. So that will be a, a valuable thing as well to have a Bleacher Blums T-shirt, but also to be uh, to be uh, you know contributing to the benefit of our, our first responders in the military so that's the whole goal blummer this is the highlight of my week and uh until next week believe it that is david tuttle i am jeff blum and of course we remind you at the end of every bleacher blums get after it most of all believe it the red, it filters through